Well, today we are in chapter 24 of the book of Proverbs. We're asking the question, who is worthy of your admiration? Let me read this portion of Scripture to us. It says this, Be not envious of evil men, nor desire to be with them. For their hearts devise violence, and their lips talk of trouble. By wisdom a house is built, and by understanding it is established. By knowledge the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. A wise man is full of strength, and a man of knowledge enhances his might. For by wise guidance you can wage your war, and in abundance of counselors there is victory. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the opportunity to be able to come together today and look at your word. And we're grateful, Lord, for the privilege that it is to be able to to see it, to be able to look at it with our own eyes, to be able to hear it proclaimed, and to be able to apply it to our, our hearts and our lives. Lord, we're grateful for all that you do for us and all that you show us. And Lord, we pray that today as we prepare our hearts now to look at your word together. We pray that you would open our eyes to see things you want us to see, open our hearts to receive things you want us to receive. And by your grace, we pray that we would grow in our walk with you as a result. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So let me ask a a question that I've been thinking a lot about lately based on uh, kind of a unique opportunity that I've been given that I'll mention in just a second. But what were you, or what would you do if you were given the opportunity to have conversations with people that you've looked up to at different seasons of your life? What would you say to them? What would you ask them? What would you want to know from them? You know, so like what ideas, what opinions, what advice would you ask them to share with you? And, I, and so I'm talking about some of the people, you know, maybe you've known them closely or maybe you've looked at them from a distance or maybe these are even people that you would put on a status where you would say, okay, they're kind of like celebrities in my mind. Do you think you would feel nervous talking to them, these people that have influenced you? Do you think that you would feel uh, trepidatious about asking your questions to them? Many of you know that I used to be the announcer for a Christian radio station called WRGN, up in northeastern Pennsylvania. And while I was working at the station, I had the opportunity to do a lot of things that I I very much enjoyed. But one of the things that I had the opportunity to do was to host on-air interviews or in-studio interviews regularly. And um, it's been a while since I worked there, but in this season of my life, I've been involved with something similar. It's a similar ministry, a ministry of podcasting. And I know some of you listen to podcasts, some of you don't. I'd even be curious, just, just uh, by a show of hands, how many of you over the course of a week listen to a podcast at least once? So it looks like more than half. So a few years ago, I got really into listening to podcasts. I found them very encouraging, very edifying. I started listening to them at night when I was trying to go to bed, and I found it's like on-demand radio. I was just so enamored with it, and then I decided, well, you know what? I think I'm going to see about producing some podcasts, because I thought, I have some content here that I could share, and I have some equipment that I could share, and so I started recording a few shows, and so I have them out there, and people started listening, and it was kind of fascinating to me, and I'll say this by word of encouragement to you, that if you have an idea in your head to do something, don't wait for somebody else to do it, because You'll be surprised at how the Lord can magnify your efforts. So here's my setup. 
my setup is I have an, a downstairs office basement, or, you know, a basement office, I should say. Um, you know, I have a, just like a, a corner of my basement that I've turned into an office that has really good acoustics. It's the quietest spot in my house. It's the spot that there's no through traffic. And so I set up an office down there. I have a laptop computer, and I have a good microphone. And I started recording these shows at the end of 2015. And the downloads initially were in the tens, you know, so I'm assuming that's like my wife and my kids being polite and downloading them. And I thought, all right, well, that's good. Why are all these, why are all these downloads coming from Langhorn, Pennsylvania? That's fine, you know. And then from the tens to the hundreds, from the hundreds to the thousands, and a couple years ago, the numbers, and I kid you not, started numbering in the millions of downloads. Last I checked, it was at 4.5 million downloads. From my basement, with a laptop, with a microphone, broadcast to the entire world. One of the most fascinating things that the Lord's opened up my eyes to be able to see. So here's an interesting thing that happens once you're a few years deep into that, and you start seeing numbers like that on your downloads. People want to be on your show. Weird thing, none of the, I do three shows, none of them are interview-based. So what do you do when people want to be on your show and it's not interview-based? Well, I decided to make one of them interview-based, and it was kind of by accident, but a friend of mine connected me with somebody else. It was a well-known author that he said, oh, you should talk to him, and that guy assumed that he meant for a podcast interview. And so I was like, well, I want to talk to the author, but it wasn't for an interview in my mind. And so I thought, well, I guess I'll just do an interview and see what I do with the content. Well, I liked it, and then I put it on the podcast. And then I got good response from it. And then I wanted to bring other people on, and then other people wanted to come on. So I was like, all right, let's see who else I can do. So I reached out to one of my favorite athletes from my youth. And I said, would you be interested in coming on the show? And he said, yeah, I'd love to come on the show. I was like, no way. <laughs> No way. And so I tried to act like I wasn't, you know, an abnormally, like, big fan who was freaking out the whole time I was doing the interview. But I did the interview, and now I think we're friends. And then I, I, I reached, in my mind we are, and you can't convince me otherwise. <laughs> and then I reached out to an author whose book I've had for years, and I thought, I wonder if he would do my show. And I reached out to him, I said, would you, do the, would you be interested in doing the show? I told him some of the stats and details, and he said, oh, yeah, I'll do your show. And I was like, no way. So now I feel brave. I'm kind of like, I feel like, all right, I'm on a roll here. All right. So recently, so this is, gonna, this is going to be comical to those of you that are just meeting me for the first time or have just met me, but let's just get to know each other real deep right away. Um, I grew up a huge fan of all kinds of heavy metal music. I don't know if that surprises anybody. I don't know. All right, so some of you are all right with that. Some of you are like, worst church ever. <laughs> you don't know the half of it. And um, one of my favorite, favorite bands, favorite, and still to this day is one of my favorites, is a band called Striper. Anyone ever heard, heard of them? All right, some of you are like pounding your fist. You love them, right? So I thought, can I get Michael Sweet from Striper? on my show. So I reached out to Michael, Michael Sweet's agent. And Michael Sweet's agent said, absolutely he'll do your show. So I'm going to be interviewing somebody that I had posters of all, all throughout my room, you know, coming up. And I'm like, all right, this is hard for me to wrap my mind around because I'm doing this with a microphone 
and a laptop in the corner of my basement. So again, if you were posed, if you were given a similar opportunity to something like this, like I'm basically making a list of all the people I've looked up to forever. I'm like, until someone tells me no, I'm going to convince myself that they'll come on the show. But if you're presented with a similar opportunity, who would you want to talk to? And maybe you could tell me so I can think, like I could build a guest list and bring some of your people on too. But who do you look up to? I basically decided I want to talk face-to-face with as many people as I looked up to as I can. But it also makes me think, all right, who is, there's people we all look up to, and whether you're, you're someone like me in his mid-40s or whether you're someone younger or someone older, there are people in your life you look up to. But who, who do you admire? Who's worthy of that admiration? Is it right to give it there, or do we have to pull it back a little bit? Because I think to myself, what does a balanced version of this look like? And when you look at Proverbs chapter 24, where we just read the first six verses, it gives us a great, great wisdom and great examples of who we should admire or how we should admire and some of the ways that we should be cautious about doing that. So let's think about this for a second. And we're going we're gonna to revisit those verses in just a moment. And I'm actually going to kind of do it in reverse order. In just a moment, I'm going to take us back to verses 5 and 6 of Proverbs 24. But let me make a statement here, even before we do that. We all have people we admire. Every one of us in this room, anyone joining us on our live stream, anyone listening to the recording of today's message, we all have people we admire. Now, we just read the opening verses of Proverbs 24, and in those, in those verses, you have Solomon speaking about the people we're tempted to admire... And also, he, he also kind of puts this word in there, too, I want us to be thinking about. The people we're tempted to admire and the people we're tempted to envy. So envy is a bit different from admiration. And he gives us examples of wise men. But he also gives us examples of evil men. And I'm certain we could all think of, of personal examples in our own life that would fall into one of those two categories. So during the course of your life, who have you admired? Who at present are you admiring? Some of the people on your list and some of the people on my list include people like family members or certain family members that I've admired my entire life. Friends, pastors, the pastors I had growing up, great examples to me. They made big investments in my life. I still admire them. Some of them are with the Lord now. Musicians, like I just mentioned a moment ago, those were pretty big on my list. Certain athletes, historical leaders that lived in generations prior to ours. And many of the men and women whose stories are referenced in Scripture. These are people on on my personal list, and probably for many of you on your personal list, of people that we admire. I'll give you some of the examples from Scripture that, for me, have really caught my attention. I've looked up to Joseph. He's one of the earliest people in Scripture that I remember really latching on to. I've really looked up to Daniel, uh, so much so that we decided to use that name for, for one of our sons, We named him Daniel. Why? Because we looked up to the Daniel in Scripture. I've looked up to Paul. I I think he's a fascinating case study in leadership and in church planting and in evangelism. I've also really looked up to Priscilla. I don't know if if you're familiar with her name, but she's mentioned in the book of Acts as being somebody whom the Lord used in great and mighty ways. And so when I think about the example that I see, and even in just those four people uh, who are mentioned in Scripture, when I look at Joseph's life, I look at the hand of God at work in Joseph's life, sovereignly directing all sorts of things that were taking place there. 
And then I also look at Joseph's willingness to walk through the doors that the Lord was opening up to him. And so when I look at that, I think to myself, okay, when the Lord opens up doors for me, do I walk through them or do I resist it because I'm afraid? When I read about Daniel's life, I see a man who possessed great integrity, even though he lived in a land that tried its hardest to steer him away from a faithful devotion to the Lord. But he still followed the Lord, even in the midst of a context that was trying to discourage him from doing so. When I read about the Apostle Paul's life, I see someone who was willing to be a pioneer. And you know what happens when you're a a pioneer? They always say the pioneer takes the arrows. And in his context, he was willing to take the arrows and make the sacrifice necessary to lay a strong foundation for those who came after him during the days of the early church. In Priscilla, I see a woman who was willing to walk by faith, and she was willing to invest her... She was apparently somebody who had great understanding of the gospel and great understanding of the scriptures in general, and she would take that knowledge, and she would combine it with hospitality, and she would invest it along with her husband, Aquila. They would invest it together in up-and-coming church leaders. You can see that particularly in how they treated Apollos, but they also partnered together with the Apostle Paul and helped magnify each of their ministries. So I don't, I'm, I'm giving you this list even as set up here as we're looking at Proverbs 24 because I don't necessarily think it's wrong to admire certain people. You know, I don't think it's automatically wrong to admire someone just as long as we're careful about whom we're admiring, while also trying to remain cautious not to idolize the examples that we gravitate toward. Because our admiration could quickly turn into idolization if we're not careful. And in fact, I think to help us not idolize many of the people that are lifted up in Scripture as great examples, the Lord also makes a, makes a point to show many of the struggles of some of these people that we tend to look up to in Scripture. He shows us their low points and their high points, so none of us will be tempted to deify them. And I think his aim in doing that was to help us to be abundantly clear about one particular fact. There is only one perfect human being. There's only one perfect man, the God-man, Jesus Christ. Now, keep that in mind as I reread verses 5 and 6 of Proverbs 24. Because in Proverbs 24, you have Solomon, when you look at verses 5 and 6, he's going to show you who he admires when you look at these two verses. And we're kind of looking at this section a little bit backwards because we're going to go into looking at who he doesn't admire as well in just a moment. But when you look at verses 5 and 6 of Proverbs 24, Solomon shows us who he admires. It says, A wise man is full of strength, and a man of knowledge enhances his might. For by wise guidance you can wage your war, and in the abundance of counselors there is victory. I find it interesting to look at some of the words that the Lord inspired Solomon to write down, including the words that we just wrote there, because they're very helpful. Because I look at Solomon as somebody who who spent the majority of his life in a very prominent role of leadership. And that's certainly not easy in any era, but in his era, it was, I would think, particularly challenging. And so I wonder when I look at a guy like Solomon, I think, I wonder who he admired. Like, people in his context would look at him as kind of like the pinnacle of, of a man living during that era. But I think there were people that Solomon admired. I'm sure he admired his father, David. 
You know, David was somebody that I'm sure Solomon looked up to greatly. He probably also admired other people in the kingdom as well. And among them, it's very clear when you look at these verses that Solomon respected those who carried themselves with wisdom. In fact, I think he was very intentional to surround himself with people like that. Do you ever think about that? In whom you surround yourself with day by day? Solomon surrounded himself with people who displayed wisdom. In fact, he, he talks about the fact that, that in abundance of counselors, there is victory. When you surround yourself with wise counsel, you experience victory in a variety of areas. And so here you have Solomon surrounding himself with people like that. Solomon is looking uh, to the counsel of people like that. He's admiring people like that. And these people of wisdom, they understood, I believe, the essence of wisdom. And this is what Solomon, I think, is getting at here. When somebody really gets what wisdom is, and when they really apply wisdom to their day-to-day life, you're talking about someone who understands that the essence of wisdom is to correctly apply the teaching of Scripture, so the teaching that the Lord's revealed, the truth of God, to our specific life circumstances. That's what we're doing. That's what genuine biblical wisdom is, when you take the truth of God and you apply it to your circumstances. God wants you and me to be praying for wisdom. He wants us to demonstrate wisdom. He wants us to surround ourselves with people of wisdom. And in this context here, you have Solomon giving that counsel as the Holy Spirit inspires him to do so. Solomon tells us here that a wise man is full of strength. And I think he admired that. I think he looked up to that. He tells us here that the might of a man of knowledge grows. He also makes it clear here that when we surround ourselves with godly counselors, we experience victory worth noting. So we all have people we admire, but isn't it best to admire those who steer us toward the Lord instead of away from Him? And there are influences from time to time that, unfortunately, I have to admit to you that I have welcomed into my life at different seasons of my life, that when I really think about it, if I put that metric on them, they don't pass meaning they didn't steer me toward the Lord. Their influence was steering me in a different direction, away from the Lord. And so here, I think that the counsel we're being given is to be surrounded by people who demonstrate that they have wisdom that's pointing us to the truth of God, not away from God. Those who model their faith through how they choose to live it out. That's the essence of genuine wisdom. But now think about the early verses as Solomon started off this chapter. Because when you look at the early verses here, one of the things that he demonstrates for us when we talk about influences or people that we admire is this. You will model your life after the influences you admire. It's not going to just be something that stays in the back of your head. It's not going to just be something in your thinking or something distant. You're actually going to model your life. And sometimes you might not realize you're even doing it. But you and I, we model our lives over the, or after the influences that we admire. People we admire have that kind of impact on us. Look at what it says in verses 1 and 2. Solomon says it this way. He says, Be not envious of evil men, nor desire to be with them. For their hearts devise violence, and their lips talk of trouble. So these are the two opening verses of this chapter. And here in these opening verses, you have Solomon giving us stern words of caution. He encourages us not to envy those that are known for practicing evil. And he also cautions us about spending our time surrounded by them. Why do you suppose he gives the reader these kinds of cautions? Why is he telling us this sort of thing? 
Well, it doesn't matter how old you are. We're all looking for examples. I am presently looking for examples. There are people a few years older than me or a few steps ahead of me in certain areas of life that I want to know what they're doing or how they navigated certain seasons. Right now, one of, you know, one of the books that I'm reading is, uh, is a book written by someone who's, I think, about 10 years or 15 years older than me, probably, uh, and it was all about how he interacted with his adult children. And I'm like, I want to find out you know, wisdom from someone 15 years older than me on what does it look like to interact with my children as they become adults, because it's a very different season of life. And so I have to transition some of the ways our conversations go and and some of our interaction. What does it look like? I'm looking for his influence. I'm looking for wisdom. And Solomon here is, is basically, you know, he's showing us that if we surround ourselves with certain people, we're going to take on attributes that are displayed by those people. We will model our life after the influences that we admire. We all have someone in our lives that we want to show us what to do. And being shown how to do something is one of the fastest ways to learn. You know, a lot of times I like to read books, but sometimes that doesn't always work. In fact, recently I got new software for my computer less than two weeks ago. I got software for my computer, and the the goal of the software is to help me organize my sermon content better. And I thought, boy, for a pastor, this is a great piece of software. It's a great idea. I thought that was cool that someone put it together. And I opened up the software and I started using it. It was web-based. And I thought, all right, this looks pretty cool. And I started using it and I thought, all right, I can spend several hours trying to figure out how to use this. Or I can watch the 25-minute demonstration video that comes with this. And I thought, let's do it the smart way. For once in your life, John, do it the smart way. Watch the video that they took the time to put together. So I watched the video. And that 25 minutes, it made it so easy to use the software. Then I used the software. I was like, oh, this is a piece of cake. It's really helping me organize the content here that I'm doing. Because I watched someone demonstrate for me what to do, what buttons to click, where to find things, what drop-down menus did, how it kept different things organized. I thought, wow, why don't I do this in all areas of life? When we're looking at what other people do, that can give us a shortcut to help figure out what we're supposed to do. So the people you and I observe in our day-to-day lives, they're basically modeling the shortcut to their way of life. That's what they're showing you. The people you admire, the people I admire, they're giving you the shortcut to their way of life. So if you want to live the way they live, fine, observe what they're doing. They're giving you the shortcut to their way of life. And if you want to take a shortcut to a godless life then let your heart be consumed with those who are consumed with evil. Let your heart envy those who are consumed with evil. That will give you the shortcut to a godless life. But if you can see evil for the destructive force that it really is, let the Holy Spirit be the one who directs the affections of your heart because the Holy Spirit will point you to Jesus Christ. And keep in mind, we are highly influenced by those we spend the most time with. So think about whom you surround yourself with. Solomon tells us here not to desire to be with those who embrace evil and have given their lives over to practicing it, because basically the influences you and I surround ourselves with, they will have a major influence on the flavor of the life we eventually lead. My son uh, texted me the other day, and uh, he said that he was doing well in a history course 
partly because of some of the things that we talked about at home. I thought that was pretty cool that we had already talked about some of these subjects, and it was helpful to him even in a college context. And uh, I appreciated him sending that word of encouragement to me. Anyone here enjoy history in general? I love history, especially American history. All right. Do you ever notice most pictures of prominent leaders during the early 1800s? There's a similarity with many, many pictures of leaders right through the early 1800s. Do you ever notice what they all do? Almost all of them. It, it, it was like a rule that you couldn't have a picture taken during that time without doing this. Now, I don't have a coat on, so it doesn't totally work, but you had to take, you had to stand to the side like this, and you had to take just the front part of your hand and tuck it into your coat. So your fingers would be covered by your coat, and you had to stand like this. And that's how you communicated you were a leader. What a curious trend, right? Why? It's like, all right, we're, are you ready for your portrait? We're going to paint this of you, or we're going to, as daguerreotypes and different early photography started, you know, it's like, all right, are you ready for your, your photograph, sir? It's like, yes, absolutely. Hold on, one last thing. <clears throat> like, why would that, why would, it's like, now he's ready. That's the mark of a leader. He takes his hand and he half tucks it into his suit coat. And I remember at one point looking at that and I'm like, where does this come from? Why does this, like, where did this come from? It comes from Napoleon. Napoleon used to do that. He developed a reputation for that. So the people who either feared or respected him or admired him started thinking, well, obviously one of the most prominent leaders in the world at the time, if he does it, there's got to be a reason. And you know, people have never fully figured out why Napoleon was doing that. Some speculated that he used to have uh, like chest pains, and he would try and like... So wouldn't it be funny if, if everybody was doing that, thinking this is the mark of leadership and just like pompous pride for your picture as a leader? And really, Napoleon was like, I just get really bad indigestion. Every time I have to pose for a portrait, I just it helps if I put pressure here, because these take a while. You know, and people were like, oh, as a leader, I will do the same. And you look at that, and so many of those pictures for 30, a good 30 years, maybe more, people are doing that. They get it from Napoleon. They are influenced by those they look up to. And if you ask most of those people during that time, why do you do that? Why can't you just stand there with your hand at your side? Why do you have to tuck your hand in your coat? It's a weird thing if you think about it. And they probably, many of them will be like, I, I don't, do I have to have a reason? It's like, you don't even know it, but you're being influenced. You're, like, we're all being influenced. We will model our lives after the influences we admire. Can I show you something I think is very helpful to keep in mind? The Apostle Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1. He made this statement. He said, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Think about that statement for a second. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. That's what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1. So how comfortable would you be if you found out that someone was imitating you and your way of life? Would you feel comfortable with that or would that feel a little bit awkward? Would that feel dangerous to you? Would you be cautious about that? Would you want maybe certain areas of life to be imitated and maybe other areas of life not to be imitated? But here you have the Apostle Paul saying... Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. When Paul was in the process of planting churches, and when Paul was in the process of training leaders in the early church, 
through that, through that statement, but also through his direct mentoring, he encouraged them to copy him. He was encouraging them to copy him. And again, I think that's a brave statement to make because what if you're doing something that's not wise to copy? What if it's not something that really should be copied? What if it's something that should not be passed on, a trait that should not be shared or influenced upon another leader? What if someone starts making life decisions based on your example and that leads them down a destructive path? Paul was aware of his own limitations. When you look at some of the things that he says in his writings, he was aware of his limitations. He was also well aware of his frailties. He was also well aware of some of the mistakes that he had made in his past and the fact that he was very much still a work in progress. So the Lord was still accomplishing his work in the life of the Apostle Paul. And that's why I believe he phrased what he phrased the way he phrased it. He wasn't just blindly asking people to imitate him as if he was the standard to be imitated. He said it a very specific way. That's why he makes it clear to the church in Corinth, and I believe to others as well, to imitate or copy him as he imitated Christ. He says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ, meaning he is trying to show them Christ-likeness. He's trying to show them the heart of Christ, not the heart of himself. He's not trying to teach people to be more like himself. He's trying to teach people to be more like Jesus as he lives that out. And that's why he makes that distinction. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. So meaning, if I'm not imitating Christ, don't imitate that. But if I'm imitating Christ, if I'm truly, with integrity, demonstrating to you the heart of Christ, the mind of Christ, the actions of Christ, the words of Christ, imitate that. Paul was trying to show us that Christ is the ultimate example that we all need to be following. And that's where I want to land today, as we kind of tie this idea together, the words that Paul said here, and the things that Solomon said in the opening verses of Proverbs 24. Because in the end, what we need to wrestle with is the fact that Jesus is worthy of our admiration. Jesus is worthy of our admiration. I've told you about some of my childhood heroes and present-day heroes, and I know you have your own list, and it's very exciting when you get to meet some of those people. But in the end, Jesus is the one who is worthy of our admiration. Now, I don't have a slide for this, but I want to point out something to you from 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21. I'm just going to read it for us. 1 Peter 2, verse 21 says this, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. I want to read it one more time. Internalize it. Think about what, what's being said there by Peter in 1 Peter two twenty one. He says, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. Saying Christ suffered for you, he left you an example, that you might follow in His steps. We've, we're called to follow in the steps of Christ. Um, the, when I was in college, I actually saw something very curious that I, I was thinking about over the course of this past week. And it's something I'll never forget because it's not really how... It, it was a moment of human behavior that I remember observing and thinking, I don't remember ever seeing something quite like this before. So 
when you're in college, and I remember during the time when I was in college, it was very common for families to visit regularly. There were always families on campus visiting and trying to determine whether or not the college was the best option for their children. And so they would take tours. There were people whose job it was to, to give tours of campus, and they'd walk them around and, and help them figure out if this is a good place for their children to get an education. And so we would frequently see guests on campus, and those guests would often ask us for help finding certain buildings or certain locations on campus. So you grew used to interacting with guests, and you grew used to just helping to pass along useful information. So one afternoon, I remember as I was walking from one side of campus to the other, from one main building to another, I happened to, saw, I happened to see a family of, uh, I can't remember if it was like six people, maybe seven people, but it was more than just two or three. It was like a family of six or seven. And they were together, and they were walking between the buildings, and the father was leading the group through campus. So you had the father standing at the head of the line, and then every one of his children followed him, single file, in height order, wherever he went. And I remember it must have been a period of time when classes were all letting out at the same time because there was a whole flood of people coming the opposite direction he was going, so he had to navigate through the crowd a little bit. And I watched like a, a snake, basically, you know, as they followed the father's lead as he walked through and navigated through, and you just had everybody, they just walked. They didn't even look where they were going. They just faced forward, they just walked. And I remember watching this, and I was like, I plan to be a dad someday. What's the secret to that? Like, how do you pull that off? Like, that's got to either involve a lot of threatening or, or promises, you know, one or the other. But I just remember looking at that. So, like, part of me was impressed with that level of discipline, but another part was confused because I thought, that is not a very common sight. You don't typically see people walk single file like that with such, it was almost like military precision as they would navigate everything. They just, and in height order and all that. I thought, wow, height order too. This is very specific, Right. Well, when you look at what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 2, 21, he's reminding us that Jesus is worthy of our admiration, and Scripture is literally encouraging us to follow in Christ's steps, to follow Him and to follow in His steps. So think about that. What does that look like for you and me? Well, as He spoke, we speak. As He acted, we act. As Christ obeyed the will of the Father, we obey. Scripture tells us that Christ suffered for us here on earth so that we could experience eternal glory with Him forever. And when you think about what Christ endured, He endured things like scorn, He endured pain, He endured shame, all so we could be granted new life through faith in Him. And He doesn't want this new life that He has secured for us to just be kind of new life. He's not saying this is kind of new life for you, or this is sort of new life. He paid too steep a price for us to do anything less than to follow Him with every fiber of our being. So when we're called, when we're called to walk as He walked, when we're called to follow in His steps, we're not called to go halfway on that. We're called to recognize the steep price He paid as He suffered on our behalf and that our hearts would be so impacted by that that with great love and devotion and loyalty, we would look at Jesus and we would say, 
You demonstrated love to me first, and now I'm responding back, and I will follow you wherever you go. I will do whatever you call me to do. I will go in whatever direction with my life that you implore my heart to go. I will not say no to you. If you tell me, I'm going to say yes. Whatever it is, no exceptions. I used to hold stuff back from you, but now that I have a clear view in my mind and in my heart of what you paid to set me free, I'm not going to say no any longer. Only yeses to you, Lord. He paid, he paid too steep a price for us to do anything but follow him with every ounce of our being. If our hearts are going to be filled with admiration for anyone, Christ is the one who is ultimately deserving of that admiration. He's the one that's ultimately deserving of our affection. As Christ was obedient to the will of the Father, so too should we be. As Christ was confrontational to the self-righteous, but spoke compassionately to the discouraged, so should we be. As Christ was willing to give himself for the greater good of those he loved, so too should we be. As Christ chose to love the most unlovable people of his day, so too should we. In the end, it's only Jesus that is ultimately worthy of our deepest admiration. And the examples that we admire here on this earth should be those that have given themselves to reflecting His loving heart. That's His call upon your life. That's His call upon my life. So let me just finish this morning by asking two quick questions just for us to think about, and they're both very similar. Have we given ourselves to reflecting Him? And have our lives become a reflection of the heart of Jesus? Would somebody be able to imitate us as we're imitating Christ? Is Christ the one that we ultimately admire? Does our life show that? That's the admonition we're given in his word. And that's his calling on the lives that he's blessed us with. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word. And thank you for the things that you reveal to us in it when we look at a portion of Scripture like this. We're just so grateful for the things that you communicate. You show us that we are going to be highly influenced by those that we admire, that we're going to be influenced by those that maybe we even allow ourselves to envy. Lord, I don't think you want us to be envying people, but that's something that we certainly struggle with from time to time. And so, Lord, we pray that that we would be mindful not to put our minds and hearts in a spot where we're ultimately going to be envying those who try and steer us in a direction that is the opposite of your will for our lives. Father, we know that it's your desire that we take on that same mantra that the Apostle Paul took on and, and that we adopt the teaching that the Apostle Peter shared that we would be imitators of your Son, Jesus Christ, and that we would walk in the steps of your Son, Jesus Christ. So, Lord, teach us to have hearts that are receptive to that, hearts that are willing to follow your Son, hearts that are filled with loyalty and devotion to your Son because of the work that he accomplished on our behalf and the suffering that he was willing to go through so that we could be set free. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for revealing these things to us today, and thank you for impressing them upon our hearts. 
And we pray that our admiration and our affection and our loyalty to your son would grow deeper every single day that we live. And we thank you for all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.